Greetings, this is podcast number 78 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to continue on from last podcast and talk a bit more about global economic justice from a truly progressive perspective. One country in South America will be our focus. Let's get right into it. Last week, we discussed on a macro scale global wealth inequality. In the latest and most comprehensive study, it was found that the richest 2% of people in the world own over half the world's wealth. At the other end of the spectrum, half of the world's population, 50% of the Earth's inhabitants, can claim ownership of barely 1% of the world's wealth. And, as you might expect, Fully 90% of the world's treasure is concentrated in, quote, North America, Europe, and high-income Asian and Pacific countries such as Japan and Australia, close quote. In other words, mostly the former colonial powers. Big surprise there, huh? At the end of the podcast, I told you that much more so than in the United States, at least so far, people around the world have been waking up and taking concrete action. I promised that I would give you some examples of powerful steps being taken in some other nations to achieve global economic justice. That's what we'll do today. My sources are the British newspapers The Independent and The Guardian, the CIA Factbook, AmericanRhetoric.com, the Christian Science Monitor, the Financial Times, the Progressive Magazine, and the Associated Press. The initial overall question must be, what does it take to correct such rampant, ingrained, long-standing oppression and injustice? For an answer, and to get some inspiration, please listen to this great American, this great human being. These are revolutionary times all over the globe. Men are revolting against old systems of exploitation and oppression. And out of the wounds of a frail world, new systems of justice and equality are being born. The shirtless and barefoot people of the land are rising up as never before. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. We in the West must support these revolutions. That was Martin Luther King Jr. in his 1967 Beyond Vietnam speech where he forcefully came out against the Vietnam War, but didn't stop there. Please, if you have the time, go listen to the entire speech. Did you notice mention last week, when King's birthday was honored with a national holiday, did you hear even one time on the corporate-controlled media that excerpt, or any of the others you'll hear in a moment? Of course not! especially because of how appropriate it would be to hear them since we're now involved in another bloody immoral Vietnam-style debacle in Iraq. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. What kind of a revolution would we prefer to see? The words of the late John F. Kennedy come back to haunt us. Five years ago, he said, 
Those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. Increasingly by choice or by accident, this is the role our nation has taken, the role of those who make peaceful revolution impossible by refusing to give up the privileges and the pleasures that come from the immense profits of overseas investments. We would definitely prefer peaceful revolutions. What does the Western world have to do? I am convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin, we must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society when machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. The giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism. And where might our changed attitude and behavior be needed? A true revolution of values will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth with righteous indignation, it will look across the seas and see individual capitalists of the West investing huge sums of money in Asia, Africa, and South America only to take the profits out with no concern for the social betterment of the countries and say this is not just it will look at our alliance with the landed gentry of South America and say, this is not just. Martin Luther King understood that we and the other Western nations need to radically change our behavior all over the world, including South America. We'll discuss one such place in South America where we progressives need to make America stand on the correct side of the world revolution or more realistically, at least prevent our country from actively supporting the wrong side. That place is Ecuador. Ecuador is just at the beginning stage of its peaceful revolution. Originally I was going to give two examples, adding some terrific new developments in Bolivia, a country we've discussed before. But that would make the podcast on the long side, and since I need to make this podcast on the short side, because of a routine but still debilitating to me medical test I need to have this week, we'll save Bolivia for next week or soon thereafter. You may be thinking, Ecuador? Who knows anything about that country? Exactly what I would have said a short time ago. Just like a relatively short time ago, very few of us knew the difference between a Shiite and a Sunni, but we learned because it became exceedingly relevant. If you want to understand how to be in solidarity with the struggling poor of the world, you need to know about places like Ecuador. So let's do it. Ecuador is a small nation with a population of about 13.5 million people. What stands out for our purposes is its rampant poverty. This is despite the fact that Ecuador is the fifth largest oil producer in South America. 
According to that noted left-wing source, the CIA Factbook, yes, CIA as in Central Intelligence Agency, according to the CIA Factbook, 41% of the people of Ecuador were living below the poverty line in 2003. In a story published just last week, the Associated Press puts the current poverty figure at 61%. You think these 41% or 61%, these millions of Ecuadorans, are part of the half of the world's population that owns only 1% of the world's wealth? In the United States, we have a 12% poverty rate. That means Ecuador's poverty rate is 3.5 to 5 times more than ours. If we had three and a half times as many poor as we did now, things would certainly change here too, no? If we had five times as much poverty, forget about it, to use a technical debating term from the state I grew up in. Forget about it, we'd be having a peaceful revolution here as well. It's especially critical to point out, whenever we speak of the third world poor, that third world poverty isn't about people having to drive a 15-year-old car or not being able to afford a big screen TV. No, we're talking about people who are malnourished, without proper medical care, or even any medical care at all, often without potable water. Their children die because they don't have enough money to buy adequate food supplies or pay for necessary medical care. So the poverty we're discussing here is literally at the life and death level. This is illustrated by Ecuador's infant mortality rate, the number of babies per thousand live births who die before they reach one year of age. As the CIA Factbook puts it, quote, This rate is often used as an indicator of the level of health in a country. Close quote. I would think so. Ecuador's infant mortality rate is 22.8. In the U.S. it's 6.4. Ecuador's infant mortality rate is three and a half times worse than ours. If Ecuador had even a minimally decent health care system like ours, over 5,000 Ecuadorian infants each year who now die would live. That's what third world type poverty is about. 5,000 dead infants for no reason at all. And that's just the infants. What about the children and adults who die prematurely also from malnutrition and lack of medical care? Picture all the flesh and blood human beings mourning the unnecessary loss of loved ones crying out in grief. They've cried out, basta, enough. Let's take a break and when we return we'll talk about Ecuador's peaceful revolution. Before we get back to the main segment, I want to mention something. It's been brought to my attention that some listeners, because I often have the same content in the closing remarks, don't continue after they hear, well, that'll about wrap it up for today. Okay, fair enough. But sometimes there are new things in the closing remarks that I want to bring to your attention. Since one of them today is real important to me, I figured maybe I better put it right in the middle of the podcast. Here it is. Building Blast the Right's audience is a prime goal of mine. 
The premier podcasting site is Podcast Alley. They post the top 10 on their home page. Being on the top 10 garners lots of new listeners. For the past four months, we've been on the top 10. Blast the Right got kicked off the top 10 by a radical right-wing economics podcast and a Bible-reading podcast. I sent out an appeal from MySpace, and we seem to be back on the top 10. But not for long, perhaps. So I want to make everyone an offer you can't refuse. Or so I hope. You get a half hour a week, two hours a month, of a show you enjoy listening to. And what will I ask in return? Ten seconds of your time once a month to go vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley, which you can do from the one-click link on the podcast homepage. Two hours for ten seconds. You could even go vote right now if you want to. Deal? Cool. Ecuador's peaceful revolution played out in the form of its recent contest for the presidency of that nation. On the right was, appropriately enough, the richest man in Ecuador, Alvaro Noboa, a banana tycoon. His opponent, the progressive, was Rafael Correa. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, except for the rolling R, which I can't do. My apologies. Correa is a 43-year-old economics professor. He served briefly last year as Ecuador's finance minister. In his campaign, Correa did not mince words. He gave the people of Ecuador a clear choice. Did they want more of the same poverty and premature death with Noboa? Or did they want real change, I would say Martin Luther King's peaceful revolution, with him? Quote, Unlike most U.S. trained academics in Latin America, Correa is an outspoken critic of the neoliberal economics of the globalized world and an opponent of the so-called Washington Consensus that has imposed this ideology on Latin America in the past 20 years. Close quote. Correa pledged to lead a quote, citizens' revolution close quote, that would make the economy more responsive to the needs of the poor. Now, remember back in Podcast 56, where we discussed four of the major ways the West economically exploits the rest of the world? Correa's campaign forthrightly addressed virtually all of them. Combining quotes from a couple of sources here, Correa promised, quote, to call a halt to Ecuador's participation in the U.S.-backed free trade area for the Americas, to close the U.S. military base at Manta, to discard some of the foreign debts his country has accumulated, which he calls illegitimate, and to join OPEC, the oil exporters organization. For U.S. oil companies, which had been reaping enormous profits from Ecuador's natural resources, this is not good news. Close quote. There you have, explicitly or implicitly, my four areas. Sweetheart deals with multinationals for natural resources, unfair conditions of trade, imposition of neoliberal economic programs, and the third world debt scam. Correa is going to battle against them all. And it doesn't bother me in the least that, quote, Correa thumbed his nose at Bush, calling him dim-witted, close quote. Now, 
Regular listeners of Blast the Right will certainly not be surprised to learn that the supporters of Banana Man Noboa engaged in apocalyptic fear-mongering together with the usual name-calling. Quote, During the campaign, Correa's critics painted him as a danger to the economic viability of the country. Close quote. Yeah, as if a country with somewhere between 41 and 61 percent poverty, and where poverty means rampant premature death, as if such a country has a viable economy to be endangered. It's an economy that should be endangered. As to the name-calling, one of Noboa's top advisors said, quote, Noboa is a businessman who believes in free thought and free trade. Correa is worse than a socialist, maybe even a communist, close quote. Did you know that right-wingers back in his day called Martin Luther King Jr. a communist? Nowadays, of course, the farthest out right-wingers in our country don't just call people names, they call for assassinations. You know, I don't know about this doctrine of assassination, but if he thinks we're trying to assassinate him, I think that we really ought to go ahead and do it. Those were the words of that faithful disciple of Christ, Pat Robertson, issuing a truly Christian call for the assassination of Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez, a strong ally of Correa. I'm sure Pat wouldn't mind adding Correa to his death list. Back to Ecuador. The stage was set for a definitive vote. So what happened in the election? The Ecuadorian people, apparently smarter than half the American population, weren't buying any of the right-wing snake oil. Correa won by a substantial margin, securing 56% of the vote. At his inauguration, true to form, Correa promised that the, quote, long neoliberal night, close quote, was at its end, and that regarding the foreign debt, Ecuador would pay, quote, only what we can after attending to the needs of the poor, close quote. Correa's resounding electoral triumph is part of a larger pattern. Quote, Correa's victory is the latest setback, not just for Bush, but for the model of corporate globalization that Washington has been imposing on Latin America for 15 years now. One country after another has spat out the toxic medicine, from Argentina and Bolivia to Uruguay and Venezuela. Correa's win means Ecuador joins Chile, Bolivia, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Nicaragua, and Venezuela on the list of countries that have also elected leftist presidents in recent years. It is good news for the people of Ecuador and for those everywhere who refuse to bend their knees to their would-be masters, whether in Washington or in the boardroom of ExxonMobil. Do you know what kind of courage it takes for citizens of these small nations to stand up and tell the United States, no mas, we won't any longer accept your policy prescriptions? Why is this happening now? Two reasons. First, the obsession of the Bush administration with the war on terror and the resources and time committed to it in Iraq and elsewhere mean that, quote, Washington has not been able to grind its heel to the south, close quote, as forcefully as before. Second, as pointed out in prior podcasts, quote, the imposition of the Washington model has brought a decline in living standards throughout the continent, close quote. 
increasingly desperate people are being forced to find the courage to act. What about the future? How will Korea fare? Already the naysaying on the right has begun, just like it did in Bolivia when Abel Morales was elected. See podcasts 42 and 68 about that. Here's a headline from the Financial Times. Quote, Ecuador's poll winner faces losing proposition, close quote. Nice, huh? The newspaper first tries to denigrate Correa's winning margin. Quote, The early indications are of a fairly high level of absenteeism and spoiled ballots, implying Mr. Correa's actual mandate may be less flattering than suggested by his victory in at least 17 of the 22 provinces and the 56% of the valid vote he secured. Close quote. Huh? Less flattering? Talk about grasping at straws. The other issue they raise concerns the legislature. Correa's party didn't field any candidates for the Ecuadorian Congress because he said the legislature was a sewer of corruption. Can you think of another Congress that could apply to? The Financial Times says that since the two opposing factions control the legislature, Correa will be stymied. Well, Correa has a way around this. In Ecuador, the Financial Times admitted, quote, the legislature is widely discredited, close quote. So Correa has set a date for a national referendum on whether an elected assembly should be convened to write a new constitution. The old legislature could and probably would be superseded. Correa's goal is, quote, limiting the power of the traditional parties that he blames for the country's problems to get rid of what he refers to as political mafias that he says have ruled the country at the expense of the majority, close quote. More of the peaceful revolution. But maybe not so fast. Regarding these plans, quote, Congressman Luis Fernando Torres of the conservative Social Christian Party shot back, If Correa wants war, he'll get war. Close quote. Hey, Congressman Torres, and you other right wing Ecuadorans, pay heed to these words of wisdom. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. Bow to the inevitable, right-wingers. Get on the correct side of history. In case you've missed it so far, right-wingers, here it is in a nutshell. At the top of this podcast, I pointed out that 90% of the world's wealth is concentrated in, quote, North America, Europe, and high-income Asian and Pacific countries such as Japan and Australia. Close quote. In other words, largely the former colonial powers. Well, in Ecuador, quote, the people subdued by Cortes and Pizarro 500 years ago are beginning to rebel against white settler rule. Close quote. Putting it bluntly, that's really what it's all about. That's what's got the right trembling all over the world. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. Music credits. The break music was The Schnee Speaks by KG House combined with the alternate Blast the Right theme by Nye's Music and Not the One Blues by Burnshee Thornside. 
We'll close with a little bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep all that great email coming in. My address is rational at adelphia.net. If you prefer, you can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also Skype me at Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Now you don't.